Abbott has gone forward with Stewart to the right, Lineker and Howes to the left. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Is there anything left from this man to surprise us? That was one of the finest free kicks that this stadium has ever seen. Hello and welcome to episode 70 of Hitting the Bar, the football podcast. I'm Chris Carl. And I'm Jeff Saunders. Well, what a weekend it was in football. But before that, Jeff, your trivia question. Okay, this question is sent to me by my son Nick, who is out in China. And it is this. Jimmy Greaves, Steve Bloomer, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer, Jack Southworth, Albert Shepard, Malcolm McDonald, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and Robin Percy are all members of a club. In other words, they have all done the same thing. What is that club and why is Gary Lineker unique within it? Excellent. Some big names there. Very interesting. Right, let's get started. We are going to talk, of course, about your team beating my team, but we'll get to that a little later. First of all, Southampton won, Chelsea won. Did Southampton gain a point and Chelsea drop points? Which way round do you think that was? I think it's both of those things. Um, Southampton needed anything out of that. A point is a good result for them. Chelsea should have won it, but they couldn't convert possession to goals. And... I think Chelsea dropped two points. Tuchel, the new manager, drew his first game against Wolves, I think. I don't think you can even count that. And has won every single one since. So I think he dropped points. I think they dropped points. The next bit about that game was the strange substitution of Hudson Odoi. He was brought on the pitch and taken off again after 31 minutes. A few weeks ago, David Moyes did the same thing, brought a substitute on and took him back off again. Came under a lot of criticism. Tuchel basically said that he wasn't happy with the way Hudson Odoi went about his job. Tuchel's absolutely right, and nobody has any right to criticise him for doing it. His job is to get the best he can out of the players he's got. Hudson Odoi went on with his instructions, didn't carry them out. So, of course, he should be hooked. I don't think there's any question of that. But it is fairly typical of Hudson Odoi. It's perfect replacement for William. He runs round and round and round. You think if he, if he goes round clockwise one more time will disappear up his own backside I mean how many passes as he actually made into the penalty area to Chelsea players this season must be two it's, it's no good looking good out on the wide, wide right if nothing comes from it and nothing ever comes from it yeah I mean the manager's got there to win the game and use the players to cons- to carry out his instructions and do what he wants them to do and if Hudson Odoi went on with that game plan he was told what to do and he didn't do it I mean I, th- I think we should possibly see more of that we should see more of that you know do this that and the other oh you didn't do it yeah and one other thing that's sort of allied to that why, why do managers wait until the 17th minute to substitute a player who's been playing badly since the first minute why, why don't they take them off in the first half my, my experience personally from playing is I knew within a couple of minutes if I was going to have a good game or not and if I was going to have a bad game nothing was going to happen that would that would change that so after 20 minutes if a player's not playing take you know hook him off that's exactly the feeling I, I've had for a long time about managers and players and when you're chasing a game when you're losing it's something that in, infuriates me particularly about Mourinho but other managers have done it at Tottenham before is you're 2-0 down for example as we were against the West Ham whatever it is there's 15-20 minutes to go and eventually he'll bring a game changer on with 10 minutes to go what is a player expected to do in 10 minutes you've got to get warmed up on the pitch you've got to find your position find your place in the game by which time there's not a lot you can do and we've seen it with Gareth Bale and Deli Alley and other players 10 minutes to go and you bring them on I think by the first 10 minutes of the second half you know that if it was a bad first half nothing's changed you've got to change it up yeah and and, and if you look at the number of times a player receives the ball during the match in 10 minutes he's going to receive the ball what three or four times there's, there's no time to, to 
make a big difference in the game unless you're luck which some you know sometimes that happens that's fine but they're much much too conservative in maybe it's the it's an admission of defeat if they have to take a player off and admission of failure if they take a player off that, that they decided to, was going to start the game maybe it's that you do kind of feel that they are admitting that they've they've not got it right in that game you're losing there's 10 minutes to go bring somebody else on and you can say I wanted to give him a run out or see if he could do something special I mean they brought bring young kids they brought a very young kid on in the Man United game uh, I mean he did look young as well but that was fine they were winning but I never understand it when you've got eight, six minutes to go to bring a player on. And Mourinho does that a lot when we're losing and it's not helping at all. However, that is Southampton 1, Chelsea 1. Probably a good point from Southampton because they have lost the previous games. So they've turned that around. Burnley nil, West Brom nil. What can you say about that? Uh, West Brom were down to 10 men for most of the game. And Allardyce, the West Brom manager, said it's the best he's seen a team play with 10 men. And with, with 10 men, it's the best, best West Brom's played all season. <laughs> No, it was. They were they were better with 10 men than they were with 11. And I thought they were actually quite unlucky not to win. But the problem they have is the problem they've had the whole season. Who's going to score the goals? And they haven't answered that question, which is why they're going to go down. Yeah, and then ordinarily, a point away at Burnley would be acceptable, reasonable for a bottom-half team. But one point doesn't do them any good at all. No, the, the cut-off line has traditionally, it's always been, if at Christmas you have the same or fewer points as games played you're in a relegation fight if West Brom were up near the one point per game mark then one point is actually good because all you're doing is trying to harvest an extra point here an extra point there and hope you get over the 33 or 34 points whatever it will be but they're so far behind they need a few three pointers and there's no sign they can get them no it could be uh, Allardyce getting relegated for the first time Uh, we did discuss it before on the show that I'd like to see him stick with them and bring him back up but the big game on Saturday was Saturday evening for the first time since 1999 and everybody's crying about it for the first time since 1999 22 years Everton won away at Anfield they beat Liverpool 2-0 the second goal was a bit of a dodgy penalty we'll come to that but what does this say for Liverpool losing for the first time in 22 years at home to Everton I mean they went on was it 67 games not beaten Anfield up until a little bit early in the season they've now lost what four in a row yeah I mean what does it mean for Liverpool actually I I don't think in and of itself it means very much records are there to be broken and and they always will be I think generally the way Ancelotti set Everton up they they did what their manager wanted better than the Liverpool players did what their manager wanted something is clearly not working there at Liverpool when Henderson who was the you know midfield linchpin playing in the centre of defence because they got no centre backs when he went off and the the new new lad they got on loan in in the summer came on that was the 18th center back pairing liverpool have had this season and the, the most number of times they've had two the same two center backs playing together is 3 it's absolutely decimated their team it is klopp's choice to take two holding midfield players and stick them in the centre of defence but the alternative is this youth team you know youth team players who are in the squad the the lad they brought in on loan from Turkish club came from Fenerbahce I think Kabak I think his name is he can play well but he has a history of making terrible mistakes as I say it's, it's Klopp's choice to, to react the way he has and Liverpool as a club they're at fault for not replacing you know not getting replacements in even during the summer they didn't get support players in as centre-backs to only have three centre-backs on your on your starting you know on your bench if you like where well, you're asking for trouble really and, it, and it's come and really really badly Liverpool will still make the top four 
is there a problem with Klopp? Not as there is a problem with Mourinho, possibly at Tottenham, but is there is there a problem with Klopp and, and the players? No, absolutely not. It, it's it's just a case of during the whatever mid-season break we had and for the training at the start early in the season the the clubs that pressed high Man City and Wolves and Leicester changed the way they played and they're not pressing as high as they used to so that their players don't run as much because they we've got these every three days you've got a game so the players need to be protected more Liverpool couldn't do that because they've had to spend all their time trying to work out who's going to play in the centre of defence and they haven't had time to work on anything else they brought in uh, Thiago Alcantara to slow the game down in midfield but he's only played with Fabinho and Henderson, who's supposed to be either side of him, three times in the whole season. You know, everything that Klopp has tried to do could not work for reasons which aren't his fault. No, the players are 100% behind him. If there is a fault of Klopp, it's maybe that he's sticking to his beliefs when he might be better off changing them and being much, much more pragmatic. The manager that got them the success over three years is still there, still doing the same things. And there's there's no sign that the players are not responding to him at all. All right, so it's just a a blip in form. As you've said to me before, and we've said on this show Man City are not only doing so well but I mean nobody else seems to be really wanting to challenge them nobody else seems to want to win it Liverpool nil, Everton 2 big big thing for Everton fans and you could see at the end of the game Everton ex-player and now one of the coaching staff Duncan Ferguson bit of a ledge at the club ran onto the pitch and was huge smile on his face hugging all the players you could see what it meant to them yeah they did very very well they carried out their manager's instructions they did what they'd been training at all week and they and they did it well the penalty was a farce I mean how can a player foul someone else when he's on sitting on the ground looking in a different direction absolutely ridiculous I mean it, it's pathetic and and the the VAR referee and that referee should be fired and never do it again I mean it's impossible for that to be a foul I mean first of all it did look like I mean I wanted it to be a penalty because it was quite exciting to see Everton beat Liverpool it was lying on the ground looking the other way it did raise his leg up but uh, and the player did trip but it wasn't in the same way that Beckham lashed out at Simeone for example it was a different one than that the Everton player fell over his back and that's when the guy's leg came up well first of all it is impossible to foul somebody if you are standing still if a player runs into you and your two feet are on the ground he has committed the offence not you so if you're sitting on the ground the same thing must apply sitting still on the ground with his back to the player how could he possibly have fouled him and the referee looked at the monitor for I mean sometimes the VAR decisions go on for what seems like hours Uh, he, he went up to the screen looked at it for all of five seconds and went back and said, yep, penalty. So he was very, very sure of his decision. Would it have changed the game if they hadn't scored that? They would have gone on to win anyway? Oh, yeah, they were they were, they were going to win anyway. I, I don't think that had any impact on the result of the game. It's just had an impact on the goal difference. All right, well, a big one. Uh, the last game on Saturday was Fulham against Sheffield United. Two teams struggling with the potential of relegation and Fulham came away one nil victors uh, which puts Sheffield United almost definitely down but also increases Fulham's chances of survival notwithstanding and we'll get to it Manchester United beat Newcastle yesterday which means Newcastle and Fulham are getting closer and closer to each other yeah I think there's uh, three points in it now and three points three points is nothing with 13 matches to go and remember that although Fulham has struggled to score more than one goal per per match who's going to score for Newcastle Callum Wilson is out for 10 matches. He scored 40%, 40% of their goals. It was 10 of the 25 before that match, and Newcastle did manage to score. But, you know, one in a, a 3-1 loss doesn't count for an awful lot, does it? Who's going to score the goals that's going to keep Newcastle up? I can see them falling down into relegation. When we were watching um, West Ham against Tottenham the other day, it did 
occur to me how strange it is that fortunes change so quickly. It's only last season West Ham were just avoiding relegation, and it's only last season that we were talking, albeit in a romantic sense, of Sheffield United possibly getting into Europe. And here they are, most definitely getting into the Championship. Yeah, and if there hadn't been the suspension of games, they would definitely have finished in the top four last season, Sheffield United. But what about Aston Villa? Aston Villa stayed in the Premier League because a goal for the the team which did go down, a clear goal, ball across the line, was not given. Had that had that goal been given, Aston Villa would have been in the Championship. A Bournemouth goal was not given, and it was a clear goal, and that is why Villa stayed up. Now look at them; that they are representative of the whole of, or most of the Premier League. I would say nobody's putting a run together apart from City and to some extent Leicester. Everyone else is win one, lose one, win one, lose one, which is what. Villa are doing and also what Leeds are doing Leeds have only drawn two games all season one ten, lost 12 drawn two you know so it, it's quite clear what what Leeds have got to do they've got to do something to make themselves harder to beat at the back and turn a couple of those a couple of those losses into draws and a couple of draws into wins yeah it is it's a funny old season those teams that win one lose one win one lose one or, or going on a bad run like Tottenham and Liverpool and the yeah and the teams that are you know sort of totally inconsistent you wonder is it the manager or is it just a, something to do with the way the season is so that brings me to <laughs> Sunday's games you've been looking forward to it I can't put it off any longer West Ham 2 Tottenham 1 West Ham went into a very early lead and I don't think at that point Tottenham had even got out of the dressing room I mean obviously not literally no but al- almost literally yeah. to give away early goals like that in, in the first five minutes of each half is absolutely criminal you, you are sent out with these, these words from the manager ringing in focus first five minutes focus Spurs got done early in the first half and the second half it was criminal absolutely criminal but if you're going to send out a centre back pairing of Sanchez and die you can hardly complain to be honest yeah before we get into the the whole thing about you know how Tottenham improved in the second half how West Ham were well set up and all that kind of thing let's start with Tottenham's defensive woes because Tottenham Tottenham fans have been saying it for years it's nothing new that we don't have the greatest defence in the world and that some of those players should have been moved on a while ago Jose Mourinho clearly doesn't trust the defenders in his squad because he rotates that defence the back four or the back three the centre backs he rotates them quite a lot and he still hasn't found a pairing that worked together because none of them actually have covered themselves in glory at all this season and Sanchez has to go for me as a Tottenham fan he has to go Dyer has to play in a different position or for a different club um, and then Alderweireld well he's probably one of our better defenders not getting so many games Davis I don't think he should be in a team that's challenging for top four there isn't a defender at that club at my club that I trust and Sanchez definitely has to go yeah I, I, I said during that, that second half that I think West Ham's uh, best plan to win the game was to keep passing the ball to Sanchez (laughs) Sanchez has always been an accident waiting to happen now when he was 18 and 19 years old you you look and you you can see the good things about him and and he's potentially a very very good centre back As, as he's progressed he hasn't got rid of those mistakes he still does stupid things and he does stupid things in every match he's got to go you know he should not be playing for any team that thinks they're going to be be playing in or attempting to win the European Cup he's not good enough Aurier is a very very good good back right back but again he's he does incredibly stupid things I mean things which you you struggle to understand I, I disagree with you about Davis he's, he's not great but he does work very very hard and you know what you're going to get out of him but Dyer, why why is he playing his holding midfield player as a central defender when he's got Alderweireld and Rodon on the pitch and Rodon was bought by Mourinho 
He bought him. Why won't you play him? Yeah, there were two defenders at the club. He hasn't played very often. One of them was Jafet Tangana, who played on Sunday. Uh, very, I mean, he's 20, but very inexperienced, as we, we're looking into it on Sunday. Came through the youth academy, been at Tottenham since he was 10. Great, brilliant, but not really experienced enough or maybe not good enough yet to play a lot of Premier League games. The other one is Rodon, who, again, a young player with not a lot of experience. But yeah, I'd much prefer play those two than see Sanchez and uh, any, any, any of the others on the pitch. Mourinho, being known as a defensive coach, took on a club with possibly one of the worst defences in the top half of the league. Well, I don't know, because um, Alderweireld and Vertonghen playing together had... had, uh, Yeah, but but when Mourinho took over, he had Alderweireld and Vertonghen there, and they were playing very well. Now, Pochettino wanted to move, move them on because he thought they're coming near the end of their sell-by date. And, and you always, you, you move the player on before it's too late. And this was the, you know, this was the reason why Pochettino was, was fired. The disagreement he had with Levy was not about buying players. It was that Levy would not sell them. And Levy would not create the money or the places in the squad for the replacements. It was never about buying players. And that that mistake, that error by Levy is coming back to buy everybody at Tottenham. Yes, I think we'll talk about Mourinho, I'm sure, because I know you're not a big fan and you know I really don't know what to say anymore. But that problem has been there for a long time. Levy, as you say, won't sell players. And then they are past their sell by date and he won't get the money for them that he should have done. For Tongan, I mean, I would die to have him back in the team right now, uh, doing a decent job at Benfica. You know, maybe that's his level, I don't know, but he certainly uh, certainly kept Arsenal at bay the other night in the uh, Europa League. Davis, yeah, okay, whatever. But the rest of them, I mean, would Sanchez, would Aurea, would even Dyer get into any of the other top six squads, let alone starting 11s? And the answer is no for me. They wouldn't get into any top 12 squad. In fact, I question whether they get into a Premier League squad at all. You know, when you're asked to predict a Spurs result, you know that there's going to be at least one goal Spurs will concede. You, you cannot rely on them to come up with a, a nil. Yes, I mean, every week we talk about, was it Mourinho or was it individual mistakes? And nearly every game, individual mistakes have cost us. We're going to talk about Harry Kane. Is he going to go? Is he is he going to go for 150 million at the end of the season? We know that half that money is going to be used to pay the debt off, and the rest will be spent on will be spent on substandard players, players that wouldn't make the top four teams. But wouldn't he be better off selling half of that defence and using the money from that? Yeah, but seven euros fifty for half of the sp- <laughs> half the Spurs defence is going to get you very much, is it? I mean, nobody's going to pay very much money for those players. They are a back four destined for Turkey, I think. You know, and, and I think. Mourinho's destined for Turkey as well. Well, he's, he's not going to get a job in. He's not going to get another job in the Premier League, and he's he's trying to work work his way out at the moment. He's you know we're going through the usual Mourinho game. He started to say all the things that that he usually starts to say. It's not the recent five or six game streak that matters. Spurs are ninth after winning three of their previous thirteen. When they were top and match day twelve, they had twenty five points. They now played twenty four points thirty six. So between they've played twelve and they've got eleven points. This is going back to November. It's been bad for a long time. It's not the recent five or six games that matter. And there is a fact which is again something which you know no Mourinho fan can argue with. He's never improved any players, and he's not improved a single player at Spurs. A huge, huge part of the problem. Yeah, I mean he was brought in. I would have hoped or expected, considering his reputation, to have done something and improve that defence. That defence is as bad as it was under Pochettino's last year and they're older 
and you don't teach a new dog old tricks or whichever way around it is <laughs> an old dog new tricks they're they're making as many and more mistakes than they used to make uh, and he certainly hasn't improved them you know you bring in road on i mean liverpool would have so signed road on West Ham probably wouldn't have signed him. I'm not saying he's a particularly bad player, but it's hardly the, a statement of intent, is it? No, but contrast that with uh, with what Brendan is doing at Leicester City. Now, he's not as good a manager as he thinks he is, but he is a very good one. He's a very good one. And one thing that he's done over the last year and a half at Leicester is he's brought in players to replace the ones who are injured. And with the exception of replacing Ndidi, every one of those replacements comes on when the, the, the starter is injured and they play really really well everyone thought selling Chilwell to a rival Chelsea in the Premier League was a bad move but James Justin the young lad who's come in looks every bit as good whoever's doing the scouting at Leicester and uh, you know we we are told that it is Brendan Rodgers himself who does a lot of it he's made some very very good buys at very very low amounts of money it's not always a question of how much but you look at the players he's bought they will be sold on at very very high premiums yes we don't know it could be the, the coaching the or, or the scouting at Tottenham we, you and I watched a few Tottenham games earlier on in the season up until and around that time we did go top and we said you know they weren't pretty to watch but there were some outstanding defensive displays mainly because there was 11 of them <laughs> but, but there was some I mean they were blocking every shot they were going in for balls something definitely has changed these are the same players they'd still they weren't very good then Sanchez and Aurea and etc but the whole team was blocking shots getting the ball out and there was something seemed to be something very very tight about that defensive unit or the whole team defending and that has changed yeah but but back then Alderweireld was was playing at the centre of defence and you need that someone in your back four has to be the leader of the back four and without Alderweireld there isn't a leader there Dyer can't do it because he's just not not bright enough Sanchez certainly can't do it neither of the fullbacks can do it Lloris is an accident waiting to happen as well so you've lost that brains at the centre of your your defence which is Alderweireld and okay Alderweireld might be slower than he was two years ago of course he is but but centre backs have got you know long long lives in football because the brain makes up for the what their legs can't do anymore. And and you look at that Tottenham defence and they're like a bunch of rabbits in the headlight. You know, I, I, honestly, I I really swear West Ham's West Ham's could have could have scored five if all they'd done is just launch the ball to Sanchez, keep giving him the ball, and something will happen for you. Yeah, they were, I mean they pretty much gifted Lingard that goal by backing off him, not cutting, not blocking his run, ball watching or watching something. I don't know, but. They, they should know where he's going to go, where the ball's going to go, and they, they just didn't follow it. It was dreadful. After the game, Jose Mourinho has said that, you know, it's terrible. It's not a crisis, but it's a very, very bad set of results. I think for a long time we have problems in the team that I cannot resolve by myself as a coach. First of all, that obviously we're going to talk is, does that mean there's something seriously wrong at, at Tottenham? Secondly, it is his second... Well, he speaks nine languages, doesn't it? So, but it's still his second language. When he says team, does he mean the club as a whole, or does he actually mean among the players? We don't know. He knows the difference between team and club. I mean, he really does. But to say, my methods are second to none in the world... <laughs> Really? I think there are, there are eight managers in the Premier League who, could, who prove that's not true. What he said is an admission that things are going really badly here and he doesn't know how to fix them. Ergo, he should be sacked. His job is to fix them. He is, you know, he's the chief fix-it officer. That, that's what, <laughs> but that's what you are as a manager, aren't you? It's your job to fix those things. You know, he, he loses Harry Kane. Okay, Manchester City lost Aguero and Jesus. And what did they do? They put fast 
attacking midfield players in with great movement right to left and back to front and the, the opposition defence don't know who to mark and look, look at the run that City have been on when Leicester have Vardy out they do the same thing now here's two coaches who know how to how to make the best of losing a striker why doesn't Mourinho know that you know this was this was the shout against him at, at Real Madrid when Ramos and Casillas used to come back from Spanish matches and Spanish training sessions and say these other teams not just Barcelona but other Spanish teams they're doing this in training they're doing that in training they're doing why aren't we doing any of that and that's how he lost the dressing room at Real Madrid it's how he lost the dressing room at Manchester United how he lost the dressing room at Chelsea and we're now into you know stage one of the Mourinho exit strategy the next one in the next couple of weeks we're going to have have you know severe criticism of individual players and the team until it's going to become so bad that Leave is going to have to get rid of him. You know, Mourinho 34 million, Tottenham nil. Well, we shall see. You mentioned their city and how they set up without their striker, with or without Kane. But without Kane, we didn't know that Bale was going to come on to form like he did against Wolfsburg and then against West Ham. He looked very good. He was man of the match for many different uh, newspapers and fan pages. And but I mean, against all the others, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Larice yet. Possibly he should, Mourinho should have done the same and gone without a dedicated striker and put Son, Mora and Bale up front with maybe Deli Alley and Hoybo behind them. That would have been that would have been quite interesting. But instead, of course, he he tried to play it a different way, left Bale on the bench, and I think. Bale is now going to be very, very useful and much needed because something has to change. Oh, something something has to change there. And, you know, Bale, I think, has had uh, his last three games, in fact, he's, he's, he's played very well. And, and But again, Mourinho is shifting the blame away from himself. He's saying, oh, he's not match fit. Well, that's your fault. You've had, you've had him there long enough to get him match fit. So why isn't he? Because you won't put him on at the start and let him let him build up match fitness. I thought Bale was very good, far and away the best Spurs player. He wasn't man of the match. I think Dawson at the centre of West Ham's defence. But, it, you know, he was Spurs player of the match, definitely. And uh, increasingly, every time he receives the ball, he looks dangerous. On the balance of, of the match, Tottenham and deserve to win they didn't create enough chances to make it happen which is their problem or one of their problems but I think overall I was very very happy you know if it had been if it had been a draw I don't know okay we got, we got away with it but we really really did get away with it but Dawson was the man of the match fantastic performance by central defender I mean it just gave Tottenham nothing at all yeah I mean Tottenham in the second half were very good and if we'd have played especially comparative to the first half uh, and Bale for me was Tottenham's man of the match definitely and he's got to start in our next game he's got to start this idea that you know if you put him on early if because his legs are tired and he's 31 and he can't cope with it anymore he has to come off after 65 minutes so be it rather than put him on for the last 35 when you're losing get him on first get the job done yeah I mean if you think he's only got 65 minutes in him then you're playing for the first 65 or the last 65 and you, t- it, you take some someone else off after 25 minutes but I, um, I, I do not understand what Mourinho is doing unless it is quite simply is part of his leaving strategy he wants out he wants the big payoff again and this is part of it so before we move on to the other matches a bit depressing for Tottenham maybe Bale will help them turn it round I think he, he definitely I mean looking at him on Sunday he looked like he wanted it he really looked like a player with something to prove and I think he definitely proved it some of his passes and his foresight knowing where, where the player was going to be and where to pass it and changing a game by a pass was, was brilliant yeah also a, a 
a couple of times where he he made a pass and it didn't go to a Spurs player, he was right. It was the expectation of where that other Spurs player should have run and didn't. And Son Son was at fault for this. You know, the, there was the space there. Bale put it into the space, which which took them behind West Ham's defence. And Son was on his heels, not knowing what to do. You know, Bale is to some extent he's been made to look worse than he is by the, the players he's playing with. We, we won't go into the ha- Harry Winks discussion again. No, please, he's another player I'd sell. To continue with the Bale thing, but to go into who will be the next manager if Mourinho goes and you're saying exit strategy has been uh, triggered. Bale is on loan for one season with a chance to extend it for a second. He's now in my opinion, coming good. He's now definitely worthy of a Tottenham place. If Tottenham think themselves as a top four, five team, he is definitely good enough to be playing in that team regularly. If Mourinho leaves before or by the end of the season or at the end of the season and a new manager comes in, who will it be and would he and should he keep Bale? Whoever it is, they should keep Bale. Eddie Eddie Howe, to me, is a Tottenham manager. He's always looked like a Tottenham manager. He's set teams up the way to play the way Spurs fans like to think Tottenham play. He is a perfect Tottenham manager. The, I think the only thing that will stop that is if he goes to Celtic. The fact that he got relegated wouldn't affect his chances. Despite all the problems at Tottenham, the Bournemouth squad that went down are certainly not in any comparison. And I mean, you've got a 60,000... State-of-the-art stadium, state-of-the-art training facilities. He'll have everything at his fingertips, something that he wouldn't have had at Bournemouth, so he'll have been given more of an opportunity. I, I don't know about Eddie Howe. I mean, there was a time when I thought, yes, he'd be great. There is talk, of course, about tempting Brendan Rodgers away, and people will say, well, why would you leave Leicester, who you know, is flying high in the league, to go to crisis-hit Tottenham? It's still a bigger job. It still is a bigger job, and I point once again to the second-to-none training facilities, etc., etc., and it is considered a bigger club. But I'm not, I don't know what it is, Jeff. Why? But I don't want Brendan Rodgers, and I can't quite work out why I don't. I think it's that terrible documentary that he he that took part in, the the me myself and I documentary. <laughs> I, I think that you know, my my reaction whenever anyone says anything about Brendan Rodgers is Brendan Rodgers is nearly as good as he thinks he is. Unfortunately, Brendan Rodgers thinks he's much better than I think he thinks he is. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you can follow that yeah there, there is that question mark about him but as as to Spurs being a, a bigger club and it being a bigger job etc when did Spurs last win the league 1961 when did Leicester last win the league in in the days when the size of your stadium defined how big you were and how much money you made then I, th- I think your point has has some merit but it's about TV revenue money now and that's much much bigger than stadium money and this is the fault that problem Tottenham have they decided to build this stadium at exactly the wrong time got into it and then that we get the huge enormous increases in the TV revenues which meant that the stadium wasn't needed but they were committed and sure Surely they can't keep Harry Kane for another year, surely. And he's worth every bit of 150 million, even at, at today's COVID-19 restricted prices. You know, if Neymar's worth 220, then n- no question at all, Harry Kane is worth 150. Uh, will Real Madrid get him or PSG? It'll be one of those two, I, get, I guess. Um, what will Tottenham do with the money? They've got 125 million they owe the Bank of England. Um, and, oh, incidentally, that 125 million at less than 2% is actually a bargain. When you look at the, the money being given out or loaned out by Michael Dell, the, the computer, the computer, 
computer guy from his MSD company that have got huge loans in uh, Southampton, Sunderland at nine and a quarter percent. I mean, it's a scandal, to be quite honest. He's taken secured loans, so loans at nine percent secured on a huge, huge amounts of money. Um, Southampton is 80 million. Derby took 30 million and they've taken some more since then secured on the training pitch but that hasn't been made public and for each of those clubs they're all saying they're using that money to fund ongoing operations in other words to pay the players and Derby County failed to pay the players in December and that was kept very very quiet there is something really quite unpleasant going on at the moment with these American finance houses coming in. Yeah, it's scandalous and we, we should address that further on another podcast as well. But we've got to move on. Arsenal nil, Man City 1 and Man United 3, Newcastle 1. Newcastle went into the lead, looked quite sprightly, looked quite bright, but Man United soaked it up and then went on and did the routine thing that we all expected. Arsenal at home to Manchester City... I mean, they, they conceded very early and they never really recovered. And I don't think Man City got into, is it what is it, third gear? You're the driver. But they never really had to do much. No, it had the feeling of a training a training match and they could go and score almost any time they chose to if they really needed to. I think the Wanderers were, were better in the second half. Um, Xhaka was a, like a, a mobile training cone in the first half. Holding's idea of defence to attack a ball without looking at it was, was entertaining. Certainly good news for, for Sterling. Who, who got his head on yeah. the ball the, the, the difference there was the striker went in there determined to win it Holding and the other uh, uh, Arsenal defender went in there hoping they would but it was men against boys to be quite honest and if City had needed to go ahead and score a couple more they would have done yeah I mean as a Tottenham fan it was a bit of a relief <laughs> because that means that Arsenal still two points behind us and we've got a game in hand but Arsenal not doing anything this season not pulling up any trees as they used to say but was expectation lower lower at Arsenal than it has been at Tottenham because some people have said oh well you know a restart there and everything whereas Tottenham have got Mourinho they've got Kane they should be doing better my feeling is that Arsenal should be very disappointed in Arteta yeah and I think there's some revision of history going on because all those journalists when the groundsman was appointed were saying how it's the final piece in the jigsaw oh he's going to do this he's going to do that he's fantastic I mean he's never managed a football team so how they knew that I don't know (laughs) they're now gradually toning it all back as oh well it was always going to be a big rebuilding job etc etc and and they always put these words in that oh you can see how much better they are without telling us which bit was better I've not seen it to be quite honest there was a there was a great comment in the paper yesterday I'll, I'll read you the quote Arsenal's very highest level is a theoretical thing a mirage something you'd swear you saw in the distance but which disintegrates the more you look for it and I, I think that's it there is nothing there and and what did the groundsman do during the match what did what what advice was he giving the players you know you you, you see managers giving advice to the players all the time it's move left move right move up you're not pushing far enough up uh, you or you're leaving too much space behind you something no no 25 times he sh- he just shouted communication communication what the hell does that mean and the Arsenal players looking at him thinking what the hell do you mean yeah you see players either you know gonna get the ball for a throw in and the manager shouts something in their ear they're substituted and they come on and you see them going up to the other players saying right you move over there I'm going there and and they're telling each other but what are they going to say when Arteta talks to them because he says we, we should talk more 
Yeah, but how do we get out of this hole that we've dug ourselves? Well, just a bit more talking. I mean, they know that. They know they've got to shout at each other. What they've got to do is actually play football better. But Arsenal's not doing great, thankfully. But uh, Man City rolling on, that's it. Unbeaten since December the 15th, and West Ham play them next. <laughs> we shall talk about that in a moment. Man United 3, Newcastle 1. Is there much to say about that? Regulation win for Manchester United. They've always got good enough attacking players to, to conjure up a goal when they need one. There isn't any sense at all of any any plan to how Manchester United play it's like um, the, the difference between a well-written comedy which which continues and has some sort of flow to it and 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 a se- succession of individual one-line jokes so they, they need a goal two minutes later bang they've got a goal and then they're rubbish and then we need a goal oh bang you know and with those forwards that's what you're going to get the, the problem for Solskjaer is his defence keeps getting found out and and it's shocking De Gea and Maguire would not be in any other team oh I don't know I think De Gea would get, get into the Tottenham team let's have a look at what's coming up this weekend then at our predictions your lot of West Ham are away at Man City uh, like we just said unbeaten since December the 15th winning every I mean they're on a you know, record breaking winning run nine my luck this will be it West Ham will beat them or get a draw but I'm going for 2-0 City my initial thought was 3-0 but I had to come down to 2 as well I'll stick at 3-0 um, then West Brom against Brighton I mean, Brighton have sort of slipped down having just lost. West Brom need to win, so it could be an exciting game in many ways, or very open game. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for a 1-0 win to Brighton. Uh, Leeds against Aston Villa. We always say it on the podcast and on our radio show on uh, 93.6 Global Radio on the Costa del Sol. We always say anything could happen with Leeds. Except a draw. They've won 10, lost 12 and drawn 2. So so let, let's go for a draw because they, they're due a draw. Yeah, it's got to happen eventually. Newcastle against Wolves. Brighton beat West Brom. Newcastle re- and Fulham win their game. Newcastle dragged into it. They've got to beat Wolves, and Wolves have started to creep up again. Yeah, Wolves. Wolves have been looking looking much better, and Jota is back training, likely to play. No, Wolves. Wolves should win that by two. Well, Fulham are away at Crystal Palace, so that actually could be a little bit of a tough one. I'm going to say draw. I'll go for a Fulham win by two goals. Wow, because Crystal Palace, like we said, beat Brighton, but at the last minute, at Leicester against Arsenal. That could be a big one for Leicester. I'm going to say 2-1 to Leicester for that one. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. And then a chance to actually win a game. Tottenham are at home to Burnley. And I think he's got to put out an attacking team. And I think he's got to put Bale on from the start. Uh, and he's got to go 2-0 up by half-time. And I'm going to say 3-0 to Tottenham. Yeah, I'll, I'll go 1-1. That could be the beginning of the end, whether Mourinho likes it or not. Uh, then we've got Chelsea against Man United. A tasty, tasty one, that one. For you, West Ham, you know, chasing a fourth-place finish. Tottenham, theoretically looking at top four top six the best results are draw yeah but I can see Manchester United winning that 2-1 away at Chelsea good stuff uh, Sheffield United <laughs> against Liverpool chart now there's a, a real chart I mean never mind Tottenham against Burnley Liverpool have got even more of a chance of getting three points away at Sheffield United 2-0 Liverpool for me yeah I think it'll be more than two I'll go out on a limb and say 4-0. And finally, our next Monday, Everton against Southampton. 2-2 draw. Oh, good call. I like that. That's just about all we've got time for this week. But before that, your trivia question and the answer. Right, the question was, Jimmy Greaves, Steve Bloomer, Gary Lineker, Alan Shearer, Jack Southworth, Albert Shepard, Malcolm McDonald, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and Robin Van Persie are all members of a club. What is that club and why is Gary Lineker unique within it? Well, that club is for 
players who have topped the scoring chart in the top flight, the old first division or the Premier League, for two different clubs, except for Lineker, who did it for three different clubs. There's a few names there that people might not know, but one of them is incredibly interesting, Steve Bloomer. Steve Bloomer, who died in 1938, was an England international footballer. He played for Derby County, was their record goal scorer, also played for Middlesbrough. Now, Derby County fans will know this because the anthem Steve Bloomer's Watching is played at every Derby home game and there is a bust of him in the Pride Park Stadium. He's also listed in the Football League 100 Legends and English Football Hall of Fame. He was a prolific goal scorer. In 536 First Division games, he scored 317 goals, which is phenomenal. So after Jimmy Greaves, he's the second highest all-time goal scorer in the top flight and we've never heard of him. He also scored 28 goals in 23 appearances for England. One other thing, people who remember the name of the Derby Stadium before Pride Park, it was called the Baseball Ground. Well, Bloomer also played baseball for Derby Baseball Club and helped them to become British champions three times. Yeah, fantastic guy that we've never heard of, unless you're a Derby fan, in which case you have, and you listen to his song every week. Yeah, I have to admit quite happily that I've never heard of him uh, but I'm going to go away and look him up because he sounds quite a character uh, an incredible sports person if you like him a great, great footballer I mean that's incredible yeah and like uh, a, a lot of um, a lot of quite progressive managers after the First World War couldn't get a job in England or an English FA wouldn't employ him so he went abroad and he coached in Spain the Netherlands Germany really those those coaches who went abroad they, they introduced a different way of playing football to to the continent um, he was one of those and he won the he won the cup in Spain with Real Union who I'm not sure even exist anymore wow incredible journey and incredible story Steve Bloomer uh, look him up that's all we've got time for we'll be back next week I'm Chris Carl and I'm Jeff Saunders and that was Hitting the Bar the football podcast <laughs>